The Truth News Network. If today were a science fiction movie, you'd be shaking your head at the news. Today, Huxley reads like a prophecy. Orwell's saying, I told you so's from the grave. And the ghost of Ayn Rand weeps in the dark. None of it makes any sense. Well, the people have had it. Now, before you reach for revolution, take a deep breath and put in a few moments identifying fact from science fiction. And for that clarity, you need the truth. You need TNN, the Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. For that matter, I think all of us have pretty much had it. (laughs) I think we have, especially today, this Friday. It just seems like when, you know what? There's nothing else that could come out. There's nothing other than the things we know out there. We can't hear anything new. Well, guess what? You can. And we have. And we've got some blockbuster stories this morning that are going to just blow your way. Just when you think you've heard it all, guess what? You hadn't heard it all. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. We are in our North Texas studios today in Fort Worth, Texas. And I love the state of Texas. I was born here, born down south in Houston. Of course, that's a long time ago, about uh, 69 years ago. And my family moved to south Louisiana, where I grew up a Cajun down in as they used to say, Lay Flat, Lafayette, Louisiana. That's kind of halfway between uh, Beaumont, Texas, and New Orleans. A lot of heritage there, a lot of Texas heritage, a lot of good people in Texas. And by the way, just so you probably didn't know this, but a bunch of Americans are saying, you know what? We're waving goodbye to these egregious states that have the horrible economic conditions, the top-down government intrusion, And we're going to go to places like uh, Texas. Yeah, you hear that horn in the background outside the studio? That's a West Texas freight train that's just doing its thing. Not much in the way of taxes for you here in the state of Texas or in Florida or in Tennessee. You know, down south where those evil Southerners are, those racist, white supremacist Texans. Well, let me just say this. I grew up down here in the South. I go up North. I've been in all 50 states. I've done business in all 50 states. And I'm old. And I watch. And I look. And I listen. And I got to be honest with you. I think maybe today, in our Texas studios, we're in one of the best places to live and raise a family in all of the 50 states. So... Our salute this morning to the state of Texas and to you, of course. Let's just get together and start the day off. Everybody wake up. God has given us another day. Another day. All over the world. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Friday. Enjoy this and pat your foot. Thank you. Lord, I thank you 
If you're older than 35, you're getting close to the point where one day you're going to wake up and realize, you know what? There's far more of my life behind me than how much of my life is in front of me. (laughs) Think about that. I'm 69. I guarantee you I'm not going to live to, you know, 
140, 150 years. So let's just make hay while we still can. Let's just enjoy every day. Let's just do the best we can do with our lives for ourselves, our family members, and other people every stinking day. What a novel idea. Let's just be the best and do the best that we can and just enjoy as much of your life as possible. You have a choice. You can wake up every morning and look at your circumstances. And when you wake up and look at those circumstances, I promise you there are bad circumstances in almost every one of our lives. That's part of living. Everything doesn't go the way we want it to go. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. So don't get caught up in the bad things that happen to you, a good people. Just think about the good part. You're breathing. You're on the right side of the dirt. And as Rush Limbaugh used to say, you haven't yet assumed room temperature. You're still breathing and you have life in you. And I'm thankful today to be alive. I don't, I don't feel like I deserve it. I think it's a gift from God and I'm going to relish doing today the best that I can do. And I'm probably, if you're in Fort Worth, you may find me on the street. I'm going to be walking around the Fort Worth Convention Center after a while, and I'm going to be looking, and I promise you, I'm going to see a bunch of smiling Texans and people from other parts of the nation that have come here for the convention I'm attending. What kind of convention is it? You really want to know? It's a knife convention. If you're a regular, you heard me a few days ago talk about my son Caleb and I started 25, maybe, let's see, when did we start that? Probably 25 years ago, we started collecting automatic knives, switchblades they used to call them, but they're automatic. And I've got a collection, he's got a collection, and he's gotten involved with some of the knife manufacturers. We were with one of them, the owner in establisher of ProTech Knives last night in a little reception Caleb put together. Good, 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 good people. You know, sometimes there's a lot to be said for just integrating into society, getting around other people instead of staying locked up and thinking about, oh my gosh, poor me, what am I going to do today? I don't think I can make it. You may not make it, but enjoy the air that you have left. Right? So what do we have in our laps today to discuss? Anybody heard anything about maybe, just maybe, a little bit of financial wrongdoing on the part of our president, his son, his brother, other family members? Just maybe. I'm just saying there may be something going on there. What do you think? Well, I can't say it better than these people are going to say it this morning. Fox and Friends, Peter Ducey. Steve and Ainsley, they weighed in on some news this morning, and I think they they can state this thing about the news regarding the Biden family syndicate better than anybody else can, especially me. Meanwhile, 705 here in New York City, the House Oversight Committee revealed yesterday the name of a third Biden family member who received a cut of money wired from a Chinese firm to a Hunter Biden business associate. So the White House now labeling the findings as a disgusting attack. Mark Meredith is live from Washington with the latest for us. Mark. 
Ainsley, Stephen, Brian, good morning to all three of you. Republicans on the House Oversight Committee say they've been looking into the Biden business dealings now for several years, but they just received some banking records, which they say detail how money from a Chinese energy company eventually reached multiple members of the Biden family. They released this report that came out on Thursday that shows that multiple members of the Biden family through a Biden family associate received some $1.3 million in payments over a two-year period from 2015 to 2017. The records show even the president's daughter-in-law received some $35,000 back in 2017. However, it's unclear what the money was for. We are hearing from the chairman of the committee, Congressman James Comer, who says these records only raise more questions. Biden's uh, uh, defenders have said is this is a business deal. This is a business deal. There's no business. They were influence peddling. They were, it, it looks like they were getting money for some type of service. Now, I don't think Hunter Biden could provide the type of service that would generate millions and millions of dollars from the Chinese Communist Party, but I believe his father could. The White House pushing right back with a statement on Thursday saying after a disgusting attack lamenting that the president's deceased son, Bo, was never prosecuted while he was alive, Congressman Comer has now decided to go after Bo's widow. We are also hearing from an attorney for Hunter Biden, the president's son, in which they say Hunter, a private citizen with every right to pursue his own business endeavors, joined several business partners in seeking a joint venture with a privately owned legitimate energy company in China. The White House likely to face a lot more questions about this heading into the weekend and, of course, this investigation by the House Oversight Committee shows no signs of wrapping up. The committee says that they are continuing to look to see whether or not that there was any ethical uh, rules or laws that may have been broken. And they also say that they're continuing to find out where all of this money may have come from. Steve Ainsley and Brian, back to you guys on the St. Patrick's Day. A big day. St. Patrick's is also here at the White House. We've got the Irish Prime Minister stopping by a little bit later on. Right, but no but press availability, right, Mark? Uh, we, we will see the president today. Uh, in fact, uh, we're the pool coverage today, so we're hoping to be in the Oval Office when he welcomes the prime minister about three hours from now. Well, Can you scream Karine a question? Jean-Pierre said that you would be able to shout questions at the president. So what are you going to ask him? Uh, well, I, I think there's no shortage of questions today. I think we also really <laughs> yeah. have to follow up today on the uh, the incident with the drone and the Absolutely. Black Sea. Absolutely. I mean, it's just yes. such a wild story as well. And the banks. And the banks. We'll be watching you banks. scream yeah. at the top of your lungs. Are you wearing green? <laughs> Is there any green I, on that top? Ainsley, I, I got dressed in the dark. Our, my wife brought our one-year-old into bed with us at like 4 a.m. And I was like... You're, I, you're I, blaming I barely, the baby? You, you, no, you get a pass. No, we I can all relate myself. to that. I just, I'm sorry. We can I, all relate to that. We do not want to wake up the baby. Mark, Mark. Uh, I know do you have a chief of staff that could run home for your in between your hit that you could send a Talk producer. To we don't, I don't make the kill me money, so unfortunately I also have to serve <laughs> as my assistant. That's right. Well. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. There is there is such yeah. a salary disparity. Indeed. I yeah. appreciate Happy it. Happy St. Patrick's, guys. Thank you, you very much, Mr. Meredith. All right. So um, there's a lot we don't know, but what we know, according to the House Oversight, is apparently three million dollars was wired to a Biden family associate, a guy by the name of Rob Walker, and he divided up the money. And this is how the money went down. A million dollars went to a business partner of a hunter by the name of James Gillier. Uh, then Rob Walker himself got eight hundred and sixty nine thousand. Hunter got 610,000. James Biden, the president's brother, got 360,000. And Haley Biden, the widow of Bo, got 25,000. Remember, this was a couple of months after Joe Biden left the office of vice president. We don't know exactly why this payment was made, and that's what the House Oversight 
committee's trying to figure out. So it's 25. Okay. Mark said 35, right? Yeah. This this article says 25, too. You're right. Right. Yeah, there's two separate payments. I, I have 35,000, two transfers yeah, in that's total. That's in total. So, uh, so the, they also say, the bank account also identify in the records, one name of Biden. So everybody else got first and last names. So Hunter's real name was is not Hunter. I didn't know that. But uh, they just list Biden. Uh, so without a first name, that's kind of odd. And also in 2017 is the first time you see references to the big guy. Uh, the big guy is referenced by Tony Bobulinski as well as uh, James Gillar. So that's kind of interesting. So that's where they're heading with this. This is just the first tranche of bank records that uh, the Secretary of Treasury was holding on to. And now she can't. Miranda Devine was with me earlier. Uh, and she talked about how this is all coming together. It just shows that um, Haley, who worked at a, a primary school there in Delaware um, as a guidance counsellor, uh, didn't have any expertise any more than Hunter did um, to work on these big international business deals. Uh, it's just a kickback for uh, Joe Biden's immediate family members. This was an arm of uh, the uh, President Xi Jinping's Belt and Road Initiative. And that's his way of trying to ensnare the rest of the world with bribery. We know from Hunter's former business partner, Tony Bobolinsky, and from multiple evidence on the laptop, that this money was being paid for work that had been done, opening doors and influence peddling around the world by the Biden family and their associates, like Rob Walker, um, on behalf of of the Chinese Communist Party. So the Republicans are following the money, but they have not yet re, uh, you know, uncovered any evidence of any wrongdoing. Uh, it's not illegal to do business with China. We don't, we don't know why they got all the $3 million. They're trying to put it all together. Not illegal to do business with China. Look at Apple, look at Intel, look at Tesla. A lot of but for President Biden and then Vice President Biden to have all these years of experience and know what China brings to the table and their ultimate goal is to circumvent us as the number one superpower and economic power in the world, their evil intentions on taking, they would take Hong Kong and then uh, Taiwan and have no problem dealing with China, an energy company associated with a communist government whose Belt and Road program was there for influence in nations that we oftentimes would have stakes in from Pakistan uh, throughout Africa. And we know what that uh, program would ultimately do. So you have to wonder what business they had. People were upset that Ivanka was selling handbags. Can you imagine influence peddling, using your name in one of our, our number one enemy economic and military power? This to me, on the surface, if that's my son and my brother and my, my daughter-in-law, I'd say, excuse me, Cease and desist. What about France? Doesn't Australia have anything that we could invest in? Can we, can we invest in a building in America? Do we have to deal with a communist party? And what do they want in return for this? And can I mention, you have no expertise in anything they want except my last well, name. Don't think for one second that there's not quid pro quo stuff going on right now every day. Somewhere in the bowels of the White House, there's one of those special hot phones that only the president has access to. And there's probably only three people in the world that have the phone number for the special black phone. Who would those be? Dr. Jill. She's got to call Joe every once in a while and tell him he's got to get up from his nap and go look like a public figure. And, of course, there's Hunter Biden that calls and asks Daddy to wire money every once in a while. 
Who's the third who has that phone number? Xi Jinping. And Xi Jinping and Joe have an understanding. Every time that phone rings and it's Xi Jinping on the other end, that everything he says he wants to get done must be done. And what will happen if Joe says, no, Mr. Chinese President? Xi Jinping will just simply say, okay, buddy. They're finding out for themselves over there how evil you were and how much I am in your ear. I could give them everything with just one little email. So you better be doing the People's Republic of China business as I tell you to, Mr. U.S. President. Don't think that's not happening. And I may be exaggerating the methodology, but you can book it. Explain all of the stuff that this president does in the White House that is a positive for China. Do you realize that every day China opens up another coal energy plant that they built every day? Now, that's a lot of coal plants. Well, they're not the big ones like we have here, but they serve different communities around their vast country. What about that climate energy stuff? What about that Green New Deal stuff? Screw that. We got to do what Xi Jinping tells us to do. So we'll keep saying we can't have that evil fossil fuel going on over here in the United States, but we've got to funnel money to China to help them with their climate stuff because they're really doing a good job. Did you hear what your Secretary of Energy Former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm said a few days ago about China. I'm going to put it in context, but she said basically we need to parrot what China has been doing. They're cleaning up their environment. They're making massive dollars in in the pursuit of green energy. They're doing more over there towards our green energy deal, our new energy deal than we are. She actually said, we need to be watching what they're doing and do the same stuff. Why would that be going on? No sane individual would believe any of that horse hockey. And so why is it being said? Why is it being touted around? I don't know if it's in the form of checks or wire transfers or luxury vacations. I don't know what the gifting is. But there's a lot of stuff that's going to a lot of people in the Biden administration from overseas, and we're hearing more about it, getting more information every day. The Biden family syndicate is in lockstep with Xi Jinping in China. Have been for some time. And none of us should be surprised, folks. The love of money is the root of all evil. You give me a better explanation for Joe Biden having two mansions, two mansions on a beach, and a third one that's, you know, it's not so much so luxurious. It probably is not worth more than, oh, I don't know, two or three million dollars. And all that came from a school teacher's salary, Jill. And former Vice President, now President Biden, who was 50 years in the U.S. Senate, best year, he made $170,000. Uh, 
There are a lot of you listening in this morning that make 170000 170000 plus, and you're not looking for real estate in Delaware and around that part of the country, and you're not finding any really cheap real estate where you live, where you could, on a $170,000 a year salary, you could buy two beach mansions and a third vacation home. So how the heck is he doing it? Well, he wrote a book. He's getting lots of money from that. No, he's not. His book hasn't sold dramatically in numbers. He got a huge advance. Why would a publisher do that? Quid pro quo. I'll give you something, but when it's time for me to come to you, for you to give me something, you better answer the phone and you better let me come sit down in your front of your desk and make my cause. And of course, when I finish making it, you're going to do just exactly what I want you to do. The love of money is the root of all evil. Now, I'm going to shock you. Some of you, if you wear false teeth, your dentures are going to hit the floor. Hunter Biden has admitted, and then he justified the Biden family syndicate multi-million dollar business with Chinese entities close to the Chinese Communist Party. He said, yep, it's going on. Well, he didn't. His spokesman did. Here's a quote. Representative Comer takes something old and tries to make it new by wrapping it in a wild and baseless right-wing conspiracy. The accounts so dramatically listed by Representative Comer belong to Hunter, to his uncle, and to Haley. Nobody else. So Hunter's statement is a public relations attempt to push back on House Oversight Committee James Comer's confirmation that the Biden family syndicate received a $3 million wire transfer from a Chinese energy company and subsequent payments after Joe Biden left the vice presidency way, way, way back in 2017. Comer also found evidence that shows the Biden family business received $179,836.86 to be exact, while Joe was in the White House. So that that sum seems to be insignificant compared to, I don't know, the $31 million received by the business during Joe Biden's time as vice president. $31 million. This new amount builds on the previous reported number in 2022. Hunter's statement, it's significant because... It shows for the first time he has ever acknowledged his family made millions from Chinese business deals. Peter Schweitzer, you remember that name? He's the one that initially exposed all this. Schweitzer yesterday, last night, mocked Hunter for changing his story after years of denying it. Here's what Schweitzer said. The story has changed throughout. When we first broke this story way back in 2018, They all denied that they were even doing business in China. Then they said, well, we were doing business in China, but as you pointed out, we didn't make any money. Then it shifted to Joe didn't know about those deals. Schweitzer said this last night. That's been disproven. The fact that they keep shifting the stories 
should be a major concern for people in the White House because now it's pretty clear the people spinning the news there don't know the full story. And I think there are going to be several other shoes to drop on this. You think? I mean, it can't be getting any better going forward. Oh, you know, it was it was a legitimate business deal or two. You know, we got that $5 million diamond. Do you remember that? The mayor of the former, excuse me, the wife of the former mayor of Moscow gave Hunter a $5 million diamond. By the way, where's that freaking diamond? I'd like to see a $5 million diamond. So yesterday afternoon, White House, as they always tried to do, they tried to deflect from Comer's revelations, and they claimed the family was a victim. A victim, yeah, got millions of dollars they made without showing any production of any product or any service, and they only got millions and millions, about $31 million we've been able to find so far. $31 million. Think about that. After a disgusting attack, lamenting that the president's dead son, Bo, was never prosecuted while he was alive, Congressman Comer has now decided to go after Bo's widow. And that's coming from another White House spokesman I've never heard of, Ian Sams. They're marching him out now. They know for a fact, Karine Jean-Pierre, she can't handle a big cover-up like this one. We got to get Ian out in front of the cameras. (laughs) Ian Sams. So this all comes after Comer just two short days ago revealed that whistleblowers have informed him Joe has indirectly benefited financially from the Biden family syndicate's business, raising questions about if Joe is written into the family's business deals that is off the books. One of the things that all of our whistleblowers have told us is that they were all, through these various LLCs, paying for things for Joe. So that's very curious, you know. So back in 2018 and again in 2020, Breitbart News, their senior contributor and government accountability institute president, Peter Schweitzer, you've seen him again and again and again. He published that book, Secret Empires, and another one, Profiles, not Encourage, which was JFK's book, Profiles in Courage. Joe's book is Profiles in Corruption. Each of the two books hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And each book exposed how Hunter and Joe flew aboard your taxpayer Air Force Two back in 2013 to China. And that little trip, it turned out to be pretty good for the Biden family syndicate. Hunter's firm, which was an investment firm, very successful investment firm. I mean, they've done billions of dollars of very satisfactory and successful business investments for their clients. No, not one transaction, not one, not one transaction of any kind of investment deal. And while they were there, Hunter inked a $1.5 billion deal with a company. You know, it's a, it's a Chinese company. They're international. They're trying to get their feet in the ground. Well, come to find out that Chinese company is a subsidiary of the Chinese government's Bank of China. 
And that deal came together and money wired less than two weeks after that trip. Schweitzer's work also uncovered the Biden family's other vast and lucrative foreign deals and foreign cronyism. Investigative work showed that Hunter Biden, that laptop from hell, also captured international headlines when along with Miranda Devine, this investigator, Morris, revealed that Joe was intimately involved in Hunter's businesses, appearing to even have a 10% stake in a company that Joe formed with officials at the highest levels of the Chinese Communist Party. So if you've been asking questions, how could they do that? Where, where would that kind of money come from? Now you know. And by the way, if you got a better explanation, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> I'll even pay for the phone call. 1-866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. You can talk to me. I'm in Fort Worth, Texas. Where the heck are you this Friday? That's not all that there is in the news today. There's other corruption in the news today. Other bad stuff for Uncle Joe and other people, principally Democrats out there. Where are those slingshots and stones that the left is so good at throwing at Republicans every time something like this comes out? I don't, I, I don't believe anything like this has ever come out. I think this puts shade on Watergate back in the Richard Nixon years that drove Richard Nixon to resigning his role as as president. You remember that? If you were around, that was a big deal. I think this dwarfs that. Just my opinion. Once again, if you hear a little outside noise outside the studios in Fort Worth, this is a very normally business time of day. And our studios here are blocks away from the rail yard. So every once in a while, you're going to hear a train cranking it up. And if they know that I've got a microphone open in the studio here, they're going to crank it up and lay down on those horns even louder than they normally do. So that's why we're in Fort Worth, Texas broadcasting today, and we're just getting cranking. Don't you dare touch that dial. You can't say that, Dan. This is a streaming radio show. I don't have a dial on my computer or my iPhone. Well, don't go anywhere. How about that? I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine. Leave behind a better world. Hi, I'm Jet Williams. Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams, his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand. That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America. OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, visit Orphan.org. 
DesMoinesHelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month, the one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Too much spin on your plate? How about a diet of truth? The Truth News Network sets your table. And here again to serve it up is Dan Newman. Well, this blockbuster just dropped on us all. SVP Financial, SVB Financial Group. That's the parent company for California tech lender Silicon Valley Bank. This morning, just minutes ago, they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in New York. Biggest filing of its kind since Washington Mutual back in 2008. Now, what is all this going to mean to the people that are owners? Chapter 11 process is going to allow SVB Financial Group to preserve the value as it evaluates strategic alternatives for its prized businesses and assets, especially SVB Capital and SVB Securities. That comes from William Kosturos, Chief Restructuring Officer for SVB Financial Group. This is in a statement. SVB Capital and SVB Securities continue to operate and serve their clients, led by their long-standing and independent leadership teams. Yeah, right. <laughs> so SVP is now under the jurisdiction of the FDIC, not included in the Chapter 11 filing. According to the Washington Post, bankruptcy gives a court-ordered supervised reorganization restructuring that's supposed to help SVB Financial Group to find buyers for its assets. That's interesting. I thought, I mean, that's not a blockbuster piece of news. Everybody knew it was imminent, but it's out there. and Just wanted to make sure that you knew about it. So what else is happening in the world of, uh, I guess, debacles. Do you know, and this one's really serious, I mean really serious, do you know that there is actually a trial underway in the United States of America and AR-15, those evil weapons of mass discovery, there's one of them, those AR-15s, that's actually on trial for shooting somebody. I'm not kidding. Here's a little I guess sound bites coming out of the courtroom this morning. Look, we know you did it. So just come clean. We can make a deal. All right, look, you want to play it that way? You're going to go away for a long time if this goes to trial. Just say something. Hey, it's no use. He's not talking. Just give me five minutes alone with him. I'll make him talk. No! It's not worth it! It's not worth it! Wipe that smug look off your face! And I intend to prove that 
that gun right there, willfully and with malice aforethought, did shoot my client, the victim. I have to object. On what grounds? On the grounds that my client is an inanimate object. Overruled. You'll have the opportunity to make that argument when you present your case. But, Your Honor, it's not an argument. It's a fact. You can all see it, right? It can't have forethought. It, it can't have any thought. It's a thing. I said overruled. Now, everyone knows that guns are responsible for gun crime. If it's a thing, then how can it be responsible? Hmm? Now, no more irrelevant outbursts in my courtroom. Can you please point to who shot you? It was that gun. It was that gun over there! I have nothing further, Ron. Your witness. Yeah. Okay, what the heck? Uh, sir, I am sorry that someone shot you. Someone? That gun over there! But did you happen to see someone holding the gun? I don't know what you mean. Well, guns don't shoot themselves, right? That gun shot me! <laughs> right? But do you see how the gun is just sitting in the chair? It can't shoot you. Someone would have to pick it up, wouldn't they? Like this. No, oh, it's moving by itself. No, it's happening again. Oh, it's so I saw it pointing at him. And then the next thing I knew, it was shooting. By itself. I don't understand. Did you see someone holding it and pulling the trigger? Objection, Your Honor. Relevance? Sustained. Please stick to the relevant issue. How is a person pulling the trigger not relevant? We have a problem with guns in this country. We do not have a problem with people pulling triggers. Unless... <clears throat> Did you happen to see a white conservative domestic terrorist pulling the trigger? <laughs> no, nothing like that. Then yes, objection sustained. In the matter of the people versus AR-15, have you reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. And how do you find? On the charge of assault with a deadly itself, we find the defendant guilty. <laughs> okay, this is crazy. You can't find an object guilty. It doesn't make any sense. Am I the only sane one here? If I were to pick up this mug and hurl it at someone, would you arrest the mug? Remove this thing from my courtroom immediately! What charges, Your Honor? Attempted mugging. Are you a purveyor of fine goods and a patron of quality entertainment? If so, be sure to like, subscribe, and comment to support the <laughs> fine institution known as the Babylon Bear. And if you don't subscribe, you must be one of those unfortunates who can't even afford an in-house sommelier. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Reginald, bring the 1906 Salim Wakis As you can tell, that was a, uh, a scene from, first of all, a police uh, place where they were interrogating the would-be guilty party, that AR-15 rifle. 
And this was a Babylon Bee production. If you don't know anything about the Babylon Bee, they do these kinds of things. They make fun of the lunacy in our government and our policies and stuff that goes around like, you know, making guns be tried tried for shooting somebody themselves. And this was just to play off the obvious. There's not a freaking gun in the world that shoots somebody without somebody hanging on the other end. That somebody hanging on their other end of these guns is the guilty party in whatever shooting there is. No less, I thought it would be fun to illustrate a little bit of the ridiculousness coming from the Marxist grifter party, otherwise known as, or AKA, the Democrat Party, Democratic Party of America. That's not democratic. They like to take on that name and say, we're the Democratic Party. No, 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 no. You're not a Democratic Party. You're a Marxist grifter party by definition of what you do, not what you say. Yeah. So Dan said it, so let it be done. And no, I haven't been drinking. I haven't been drinking at all. Um, I'm innocent, Your Honor. Prove me guilty. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You got to giggle every once in a while, folks. This stuff that we're dealing with every day, it's like somebody's standing over us. We're already in the grave. And they keep throwing shovels of dirt in our faces down in the grave. And they just want give up. Pounding, pounding, pounding. And it's like if we scream and holler all these falsehoods over and over, get louder and louder, somebody somewhere is finally going to say, you know what? This is all they talk about. So there's got to be something to it. We at least just must believe at face value the claims that they're making. But that doesn't make anything the truth. It also doesn't make anything a lie. Truths and facts, they live in a vacuum. You can't manipulate them. You can't add to them. You you can try. You can try to denigrate them. And that AR-15 facade, that's exactly what this has been built around. And there have been millions of people whose lives have been ruined because the Marxists, Grifter party, they want to go after the gun instead of the person that pulled the trigger. And I keep going back to this. How many people have been killed in Chicago weekend after weekend for years? We hear it over and over again, and it's because of those guilty guns. They want to blame guns. We got to get guns off the street. Chicago has the most egregious gun laws of any other big city in the nation. And those laws aren't stopping the shooters. They're not stopping the murders. Why is that? Criminals don't go to a Dick's Sporting Good and fill out the FBI application, ATF application, to get a background check run on them before they can close a deal and write a check and get a gun. That's not where they get their guns. They go get Bubba, who drives down the street and stops every once in a while, and he stands there waiting for anybody with a $100 bill. Come on over here. He looks around. Nobody's looking. He opens the trunk that's full of guns that he sells one at a time to some of these people that can't 
pass a background investigation because they've got a criminal history. So they have to buy them from Bubba out of his trunk. How many times have you heard when you hear these weekly reports every Monday? Well, 35 people shot, 15 killed this past weekend in Chicago. And oh, by the way, it's going to snow today. We hear that every weekend. But one thing you don't hear is where the guns come from that were used by these shooters to wound and kill these Chicagoans. They never tell us. We never get a report on the legality or the illegality of guns that are used in crimes. And I'll drop another little bomb on you before we move on. Do you know that every year in the United States of America, there are more people killed with another weapon than are killed with guns in total every year? What would that other weapon be? We got to get them off of the market, don't we? Hammers. Did you know that the weapon of death that kills more people than those horrible AR-15s and those semi-automatic weapons all combined, hammers kill more people every year in the nation than guns do? Well, we need to have a big fire in the middle of the city town square and everybody bring their hammers. We'll throw them in there and burn those evil hammers. That's the extremes that the left are going to. They've got to find something that they can pile up and use against their political opponents. It has nothing to do with substance. It's totally symbolic. This nation today is being run by a symbolic Marxist with the name Joe Biden from Washington, D.C., and the governing that happens from his White House has nothing to do with the facts of what it takes to run a nation. All that is used to give us their version of governing is Marxist grifter policies. That is it. Let me give you another example. A March 15th hearing that happened this week in Texas, it showed something a little novel. A Republican chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, who, by the way, can synchronize his committee members to ask useful questions. We don't hear that too often. Alejandro Mayorkas, Homeland Security Secretary, hadn't yet faced any of this GOP discipline discussions in any prior chaotic hearings. Representative Mark Green, he's a Republican from Tennessee. He assigned himself the primary task of getting Border Patrol Chief Raul to criticize Mayorkas' policies. And I heard the hearing. We played it the other day for all our listeners to hear. He asked Raul Ortiz, who's the chief of the Border Patrol, Chief Ortiz, does DHS have operational control of the entire border. That's an exact quote. The question was an arrow not named at Chief Ortiz, but at Ortiz's boss. Who might that be? Homeland Secretary Mayorkas, Alejandro Mayorkas, who claimed last year, oh, we have operational control of the border. In fact, he claimed that over and over and over again. Chief Ortiz says, no, sir. I will tell you that in certain areas, the cartels, the Mexican cartels, control an awful lot of the southern border. 
Wow. The exchange was a win for the Republicans' pro-impeachment wing. Yeah, there is one of those out there. Jessica Vaughn said that, the chief of policy studies at the Center for Immigration Studies. It pits a career Border Patrol official who is dealing with this day after day, month after month against his boss, Mayorkas, who's trying to hoodwink Americans. This is Jessica Vaughn. Ortiz broke with the administration on several points throughout the hearing, said he disagreed with President Biden's decision to halt border wall construction, and he sees the Trump-era remain in Mexico policy as a way to improve border management. Representative Carlos Jimenez, a Republican from Florida, he produced some useful data by asking Ortiz this question, supposing that we have 1.3 million gotaways that we know of. What is your estimate of the people that we don't know about that got away? And Chief Ortiz, Border Patrol Chief, he's the guy that sits in there every day and he watches everything that happens at the southern border. This is what he said in his reply. In my estimation, based upon the situation awareness that I have, probably between 10% and 20% more untracked gotaways. Well, Green, he wasn't through. He said there's 6 million people, you mean, in just two years, two years of Secretary Mayorkas' reign at DHS, more people have come into this country than all of the eight years of Barack Obama's presidency and all four years of the Trump presidency combined. And so when the chairman asked that question, Ortiz dodged other questions, and he disagreed with some of the Republicans' hope-for answers. Representative August Pfluger, another Republican from Texas, asked, do you believe that the cartels are acting as a terrorist organization? Border Patrol chief replied, for me, they are criminals. They're 100% criminal organizations, he said. But, the GOP leaders in the hearing successfully made their detailed criticism of Mayorkas' border policies, often arguing that his policies violated Congress's laws. I wonder if they're just figuring this out. I've been saying that for years. If we had just simply enforced the laws, we wouldn't have this southern border crap. The interim final rule for fast-track asylum is a rule that Secretary Mayorkas is trying to change and actually remove this judiciary branch from from the decision-making on asylum, said Green. And he added this, even though Congress passed the laws many, many years ago that said the judiciary is to be involved, why would Secretary Mayorkas want to do away with the judiciary? Why would he want to subvert laws written by this body, the Congress? It's because they want more people to come into this country, and they don't care what they have to do to get them here. Their solution? A cell phone app, where whoever fills it out just automatically gets parole when they show up at the border crossing site. That is in total contravention to the laws passed by Congress about how people are to enter this country every time, in every instance, without any exceptions. I can see it now. Some drug cartel coyote says, hey, for an additional fee, 
We'll fill the app out for you. (laughs) Nonetheless, the House is far from impeaching Mayorkas, according to Vaughn. Some may see this as a gotcha for impeachment, but the GOP, people who are more cautious about impeachment, already agree that Mayorkas is lying. They just don't think that it's worth the trouble to put everyone through a time-consuming impeachment process. They'd rather get on to trying to change the policy, of trying to change the law to prevent the abuse of the policy. Let me just say this. I don't even know who Ms. Vaughn is. But nothing, there is nothing short of total open borders that's going to satisfy Mayorkas. That's all he cares about. And that's what he's doing. Six million people. If you factor in the known and unknown gotaways, six million illegals here since Biden took his oath of office. The question is more about the tactics of getting better policies, not about the merits of impeaching Mayorkas, she said. If you don't hold anybody accountable, anybody accountable, what in the world do you think is going to make them deflect and just automatically get a a signal from heaven and they just turn around and start walking 100 degrees the opposite direction, doing what they're supposed to do? What makes you think any new laws that got passed would change this whole thing? There's nothing that's going to change it short of closing the border, enforcing immigration laws, and make everybody that wants to come to the United States go through the same legal process that every year one million people from other countries come to our nation legally by going through that process. One million every year. That doesn't sound like many. I mean, we got seven billion people on the planet. Well, it may be insignificant when compared to seven billion, but let me tell you what you compare it to, it sounds pretty significant. All the other countries on the planet, 191 other countries, they all have immigration policies. If you put the immigration policies of all the other 90, 191 countries You put those all together and add up how many people in other countries on the earth all combined. I mean, add them all up, 191, the total from each nation. They don't get to the 1 million mark, which is what we do every year and we've been doing every year for decades. It's not about doing the right thing. It's not about doing the lawful thing. It's about doing what the left want to do because they've got to build a permanent voting base so that they can know going forward that every time we have any election, any federal election, they can be certain of the outcome going in. How can they do that? They can make every one of these illegals dependent on their party, the Marxist grifter party, a.k.a. Democrat party, for every part of their life's subsistence. We're going to take care of your kids' education. We're going to take care of your food issues. We're going to take care of your health care. We're going to give you a cell phone, and we're going to give you a place to live. 
We do that, you're obligated to us. When we ask you to vote one way on any issue and you do get your right to vote and you get your voter registration card, every time there's an election, you got to go look for the Marxist grifter name of the candidate for any office. And it may say the Democrat Party on there. That's, that's the same thing. You got to vote that way every time. That's exactly what it's about. It's certainly not about enforcing the rule of law. It's about breaking the rule of law, ignoring the rule of law, and doing whatever it wants to do based upon what we tell them to do. So what's ahead? You do know that we have an economic issue, pretty big deal. Our debt limit is about to expire temporarily. we got to come up with a way so that we don't default on our interest payments on all the loans that people have made that we owe. We signed IOUs. They're called bonds. We got to pay interest on those bonds every quarter. That means we got to come up with cash. You may not believe this, but the United States of American government doesn't have a buttload full of cash on deposit anywhere. And if they did, it sure wouldn't be safe, would it? In case you missed it yesterday, we had a lengthy first hour visit with Dunstan Teo, the world's number one cryptocurrency expert, great friend, great, very intellectual guy, very successful career. He never likes to talk about it. He's a billionaire. Came on the show and he gave us some information to look into and he's coming back in two weeks and he's going to Give us the second part of all that. If you missed yesterday's show, go to yesterday's TNN Live. If you go to truthnewsnet.org and pop it up, look for the one that says TNN Live, Thursday, March 16th. At the very top of that show, first hour, Dunstan's there. You need to hear it all. Gosh, the first hour of today's show is gone. Doesn't seem possible. So what else is there on our plate to talk about? Well, that debt limit thing. You're not hearing anybody talk about it, but it's being talked about. It's just getting pushed off the front page by all this southern border crap, the Hunter Biden, the Biden family syndicate crap. It's all, that's big news. It's grifter news. But substantively, we got to get something done. Somebody's got some suggestions and real information about it. Two people, they're up next step. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. But always get the truth about right and wrong here at TNN, the Truth News Network. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? that we freshly bake goodies throughout the day. Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. It's Super Salmon Days down at Fish Brothers. For a limited time, bring in any fish and get a child salmon entree free. You heard right. Bring in any fish and get a free child salmon entree. And I mean any fish. Got a swordfish lying around? Bring it in. Got a goldfish you're sick of feeding? Bring it in. 
Got a fish that's been sitting in the sun for a few days? Bring it in! We'll throw it in with the rest of them. What we do with the fish is nobody's business but ours. Just enjoy your salmon $8.99 with our famous stew. So, welcome on into Fish Brothers Seafood Themed Restaurant, where everything's a great catch. Except the shrimp. Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Remember them? That that was their big hit. If you if you don't know me by now, back in the seventies, really good music back then. If no other reason, we could hear and understand all the words, and the words actually meant things. What a novel idea, huh? Write a song, have words that tell a story. Boy, we sure don't see or hear that anymore, do we? So Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, he. He is, he's a politically, he's all the way in the same spot as is Steve Baker. Steve Baker, you know, comes on every Tuesday, our investigative journalist. Um, they're even more conservative than those in the Republican Party. And Rand Paul is a doctor. He knows the medical industry on both sides, revenue and expenses. And he knows what the American people are going through. Not everybody I, I just wonder, how many of the f- 534 other people in the House and the Senate have the understanding of financial things in relationship to the reality of living and governing? you got to put all those in context. How many other of the 534 people know what Rand Paul does about spending and debt? I bet you it's less than 10%. What do you think? And that's a guess. But based upon the stuff that comes out of their mouth, I think they don't either know very much or they do and they're too stupid to put it into language that can be understood. But anyway, Larry Kudlow with Rand Paul, they're talking about what the heck we're going to do in the government about our spending problems and our debt limit increase. Pleasure. Joining me is Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. You know, Senator Paul, I want to get to your, you've got a plan on the debt ceiling, which I, I kind of like. But I mean, it's amazing to me, this big lie tactic. They keep accusing McCarthy, Republicans in general, of Medicare, Social Security, interest on the debt, all this stuff, all the scare tactics. It's the big lie. Communists used to use this all the time, probably still do. I mean, why is it? Why can't they be honest and truthful even for a nanosecond, Senator Paul? Well, they're completely dishonest and worry the markets and are bad for the country and bad for all of us by saying, oh, we might default. There's absolutely no reason for us to default. Our interest payments are about $400 billion. We bring in about uh, $5 trillion. So we have plenty of money to pay our interest payments. We have plenty of money to pay our soldiers, to pay our Social Security, and to pay for Medicare. Now, we don't have a lot of extra money beyond that. We're about a third overdrawn. So there's an enormous amount of government that we'd have to trim. Now, if you do it over about a five-year period, what I've proposed recently is you bring the baseline down, you cut $100 billion immediately, and then you freeze spending for about four or five years. And guess what? You actually achieve balance through growth. And so it can be done, and it can be done with very small amounts, maybe not even cuts beyond the $100 billion, but by freezing spending. So, Senator Paul, let's go through this. Very interesting. Uh, you were in with Mike Braun, Ted Cruz, Ron Johnson. 
Mike Lee, Rick Scott, if I have that right. Um, this is from your, uh, your gang, your team. Um, you want to take $100 billion out. Now, this is for the full budget, I assume, which is almost $6 trillion, $5.7 trillion. 1.7% cut of total outlays in FY24, which is coming up what you all will face, and then freeze spending at that level for the next three years, freezing that spending. So how does that work out? How does that affect entitlements? How does that affect discretionary, et cetera, et cetera? I'm confident that if you did the cut across the board to everything, uh, a 1.7% cut, that you would not know it happened. And I'll give you an example of how people who are very wedded in a project say, oh, you can't cut my project. Let's say Alzheimer's research, and there's $100 billion spent on Alzheimer's research. What would it be next year under this plan? It'd be like 98.5% or 98.3%. So it still would be a large amount of money. And it's the same with even things like Medicare. If you look at the overall budget of Medicare, what would happen if you froze the overall budget? Well, I think there's enough administrative costs and government waste within the system of a $1.3 trillion system that you could eliminate waste and actually do it without changing anybody's uh, receiving their Medicare benefit. I do think, though, that things like Medicare and Social Security, if you want them to function long term and you want to balance budgets and have surpluses, that you are going to need means testing, meaning that people like myself, like yourself, who have done well in life, really you're going to have to pay the full cost of their Medicare and not have the working class subsidize your health care. Uh, how about setting up a bipartisan commission to do that? That's a political well, issue. It's a policy issue. You know, I was around um, when Ronald Reagan was president in the first term. I was working in his OMB budget office. That's how he did it. He brought in Alan Greenspan. Well, he brought in Pat Moynihan. Uh, he brought in the heads of the labor unions. I believe uh, it was Lane Kirkland from the FFL-CIO. I could be wrong, but I think that was right. And they sat down and they, you know, they came up with some reform plans. And it was bipartisan. And it passed. And by the way, it worked for the next 50 years. How about the com uh, some kind of commission? I've been recommending something similar for quite a while now, unfortunately without success. But I would use the model of the Joint Economic Committee. The Joint Economic Committee is evenly divided. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter whether Republicans are in charge or Democrats. There's equal number of Republicans and Democrats on it. They typically don't vote out legislation, but they discuss ideas. So it would be a standing committee. You would bring in the actuaries that measure Social Security soundness, Medicare soundness. You would talk about different proposals and what the outcome of. Many of these things are economic projections based on what you do. And in a reasonable, rational fashion, we would say, how do we preserve these programs that the bulk of Americans have come to assume and accept, but make them actually, you know, responsible, fiscally responsible? And the interesting thing about this, and most Americans don't know this, over half of the European governments run surpluses. Germany and Sweden both have big governments, both have big safety nets, but they run surpluses. So it can be done. It is a problem, though, to have chronic deficits because I think it's eroding us from within, and we ultimately could destroy the currency and this great country if we continue to let this debt grow apace. Well, you know, I, uh, my basic view here, I guess much, much like yours, 
is that the rise of government at all levels, but we focus on the federal government, 24% of GDP right now, that's a huge number. But you add on state and local, you're almost half, you're 44%. But that the rise of government center, Paul, is the single biggest obstacle to returning to growth. It is the biggest prosperity killer we have. And if you went back to 3.5% growth for the next 10 years, then that budget story brightens quite a lot. Yeah, I seem to remember this guy. He was a president back in the 80s who said government is the problem, not the solution. <laughs> yes, sir. And he was absolutely right. But there's an enormous story here that is forgotten, often even by Republicans, doomsayers on the Republican side, is that we have an enormous engine that creates amazing wealth. The story of capitalism is told by, mm -hmm. you know, Marion Tupi and these other people have talked about the superabundance and what has happened through trade and capitalism over the last 200 years. 200 years ago, almost everybody lived in abject poverty. The story of economic wealth is all along the zero, the x-axis, until the last 200 years, and then it's been exponential growth. But we need to realize and teach our kids and discuss that this great wealth came from what Adam Smith talked about. We need to free up the economy. We need to understand that actually when we've reduced tax rates, we've gotten more revenue. We're still debating that, and yet the facts are in. They were in the 80s, and they're also in with the most recent tax cut that cutting rates actually brought in more revenue and allowed more economic growth. Absolutely, sir. You know, we just had Art Lafferon earlier this week uh, debating this. Well, he didn't debate, but a uh, White House spokesperson came up and s tried to argue that the, just the Trump corporate tax cut uh, produced huge deficits. It's the reverse. It paid for itself and then some. Senator Paul, let me just add one thing before we lose you. Um, I always appreciate your time. I'd like to restore workfare and work requirements to all of the benefit programs out, outside of the big, big entitlements, Social Security and Medicare. But the rest of it, going down the line, all the welfare programs, food stamps, housing subsidies, Medicaid, all of them, I would like to restore workfare. And my point here is not only will you get, um, you know, first of all, people will come off the dole. Second of all, if they're working, they'll throw off income, which is taxable even at lower tax rates, and that work is a virtue anyway, that it will, you know, promote the American idea. It'll be a, a kind of remoralization instead of a demoralization. What do you think about that? that? We did this 25 years ago. Why don't we do it again? Without question, and we're working on it as we speak, when we did it in the 1990s, and it was heralded and lauded, and I, I applaud what was done, only about four out of 96 programs got work requirements. I want to see it added even more thoroughly throughout the system. And work should be seen by all as a, as a benefit, as a plus, as an asset, not as punishment. It's a cultural thing as far as a society thing. You need people to work. And one of the terrible disasters, people died from COVID, but also the work ethic is dying and being killed right. by government disincentives. So we've got to reverse that trend. Now I know that was a lengthy um, conversation there that we uh, played for you, but it was important in the context of what's happening right now, today. I'm not talking about, oh, you know, we got to do this because this is what's going to happen if we don't do this. No, I'm talking about what needs to happen right now to try to start fixing this problem. What problem were you talking about? Well, just look back this week. Look at, look at all that happened over last weekend and this week. You remember Sunday morning, our president came out and said, what happened at Silicon Valley Bank 
It's not going to cost the American taxpayers a nickel. We're not going to bail them out. And then very quietly, on the same day, what happened? (laughs) We bailed them out. (laughs) We actually bailed out Silicon Valley, the depositors. Now, what does this mean? We know $2,500 is the maximum balance amount that is insured for every person that has money on deposit in accounts in banks around the nation. No more than $2,500 is insured by the federal government. They just blew right through that. They made everybody that had deposits in Silicon Valley Bank, made them whole. How'd they make them whole? Well, they put our money, you know, our tax dollars, which they don't have. So they had to run to the bank and borrow that, billions of dollars to put in those accounts. So the question came up, what will happen if banks, like little banks, Silicon Valley Bank was the 16th largest in the nation, so that's a big bank. And it's got a lot of people that are involved there and a lot of heavyweight politicos and stuff like that. You know what I'm talking about. So what's going to happen to future smaller banks that fail? What's going to happen? Yesterday, Senator Lankford from Oklahoma was talking to Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen, and he asked her that same question. Madam Secretary, the federal government, the federal taxpayers bailed out Silicon Valley Bank, made them whole. We just bailed them out. Are we going to do that for, let's say, a small regional bank in Oklahoma or someplace like that? Are we going to do that going forward? He pressed her. He made her give him an answer. And you know what the answer was? This is the Secretary of the Treasury. No, sir, that's not going to happen. Now, how can that happen in a representative republic, a democratic nation, the number one on the planet, the United States of America? We operate by the rule of law. Our elected officials go to D.C., And we tell them when they come home to our districts, our senators come home to our states, we tell them how we want them to look at every piece of legislation that's coming down the pipeline. And they vote based upon our interests, not the interest of the big Democrat machine. Excuse me, the Marxist grifter, a.k.a. Democrat Party supporters, that big scheme that they want to see happen. You knew, you know, do you have any idea what banks are going to be bailed out going forward? None, unless they have ties to the Democrat Party. Which, by the way, SVB has deep ties. That shouldn't surprise anybody. But they went on record. They actually admitted if regions... National Bank, Regions, which is a regional bank. It's headquartered, I believe, in Mississippi. If it goes under like SVB did, Secretary Yellen said, if you got a half a million dollars in there, only 250000 of it is insured. And we're not going to cover it. The American people are not going to cover the difference. There's something wrong with that. Absolutely. You know that. I do, too. 
We all know that. And they say that knowing that if they don't do the right thing, there's no accountability coming for them. They're doing what the uh, the people in political power want them to do. That's all that matters. Have you heard the latest on Credit Suisse, that monster bank out of Switzerland? They were in deep, deep trouble, and we heard they got a bailout. Well, guess what? Shares in Credit Suisse this morning are tumbling after a forced merger with another Swiss bank was rejected yesterday. Now, what's this all about? It comes as Switzerland's largest political party. Here we go. Political party signals it's against a state guarantee of the bailout for Credit Suisse after it got an injection of liquidity, a bunch of money from the Swiss National Bank yesterday with a loan of over $50 billion. So making the determination about Credit Suisse, which is, by the way, the second largest bank in Switzerland and among the largest in the world, was vital to the stability of the Swiss financial system and their economy. So, the SNB stepped in on Thursday to give the bank a loan worth 50 billion francs. The move, they said, was in order to stabilize the lender. In the middle of concerns, it could be the second major bank to fail after the collapse of our Silicon Valley Bank last week. According to the very latest financial stability report from Swiss National Bank, Credit Suisse currently accounts for 13% of all their domestic loans, 14% of domestic deposits. It's also one of two banks in Switzerland, along UBS Group, to have international holdings. But despite the central bank's determination that Credit Suisse is vital to the national economy, a leading member of the populist right-wing People's Party said this, the government shouldn't give Credit Suisse a state Guarantee. The Swiss National Bank was responsible for providing liquidity to Credit Suisse, and the SNB has acted. Yet, the country's second largest party, the Social Democrats, they signaled that they would not be opposed to the state guaranteeing the loan, but a spokesman did caveat that the central bank would have to be well compensated. That's not the way we're doing it. Oh, my gosh. Our government stepped right in and said, where do we sign? Here's a blank check. Just fill in the blank for however much you need. Silicon Valley Bank and the American taxpayers, we'll tell them about it, but we're going to let it just kind of blow over. Nobody will know. Same circumstances, different outcome. Now, let me tell you how critical in comparison this is. I was in Switzerland. It was their own business. I spent several weeks there, right in the middle of the fact that one day, I'll never forget it, Tuesday afternoon after the markets closed, after 5 o'clock, Swiss National Bank, which is kind of like their Federal Reserve, they held the press conference. You know what they were announcing? For the very first time in world history, Every Swiss franc, which is their dollar, every every Swiss franc from that day forward would be backed 100% by gold that is on the deposit in Swiss National Bank 
and several of their Federal Reserve sites around their country. Every dollar would have to be backed by, if it's $1 or $5 bill or a $20 bill, every one of those would have to be backed by an equivalent amount of gold somewhere on deposit in the United States for it to be a similar deal. How much gold does the federal government have? We have no idea. They won't tell us. Fort Knox used to be the place, but we do know for a fact Fort Knox, the gold's not there that was there formerly. Where is it? We don't know. We don't even know if it's in existence anymore. That's a story for another day, but we don't have nearly enough nearly enough gold as a country to back our currency. So we don't. Nixon pulled us off of that, as a matter of fact, back in 1970, I'm going to say 72, 73, sometime back then. He pulled us off that. Why did he do that? Because that way you can run up deficits. And guess what? If you need some money to pay some of the stuff, the money you borrowed, you just go down in the bowels of the Federal Reserve Turn on the printing press and print a bunch of bonds that you can sell to people, take the money that they pay you, and pay those that you owe money to. That's called fiat currency. That's what Dunstan Teo spent a long time yesterday talking to you and me about that we've got to get away from. We've got to get our money out of dollars in the United States. In fact, every country on the planet, its people needs to do that today because We are looking at a massive financial falling apart, not just in the United States, not just in Europe, not just in Asia, but worldwide. We've got to find ways to turn our fiat currency, that is the money we have on deposit in normal bank accounts, turn it into liquid assets that are safe and that the federal government can't grab. There's such things out there, absolutely. Again, if you missed yesterday's show, go grab yesterday's show. The first hour is Dunstan Teo explaining the whole process. He's a guy you want to listen to. He's a multi-billionaire. Grew up in Singapore, started companies in Singapore. You know when he left Singapore was years ago, not too many years ago, when the Bank of Singapore called his very successful large company called him there in Singapore, and they said, guess what? You used to have $200 million worth of cash in your bank account with us. You don't have that anymore. Why? We took it, and there's nothing you can do. The next day, Dunstan moved his company in its entirety, his own family. They all moved to Dubai. Well, what about their money? What about all that money? It was fiat currency. He had already, he had all of his personal wealth moved over to digital format, cryptocurrency. And when he left Singapore, he didn't have to move any money out of any bank account. All he did was take his crypto wallet, which is how you deposit your assets, your currency assets, when you're in cryptocurrency and nobody can access your crypto wallet or however much is in there in cryptocurrency, they can't access it without you pulling the trigger personally. 
to send it to them. It can't be done. That's the most beautiful thing about cryptocurrency. And so he didn't miss a lick. They moved to Dubai. They opened up business two days later. Still going at it. There's a lot of things in life that we need to find out about and we need to learn about because we're not getting the truth from the mainstream media. I know that doesn't surprise you. <laughs> it doesn't surprise anybody. But instead of just griping about it, we gotta we gotta find things we can do and we gotta pull the trigger on these things. Dunstan will be back with us not this coming week, but the following week to give us part that was his Fourth visit with us. He's been on our show now four times. I got to be honest, that's a really big deal. If you don't know who he is, write write his name down right now. Dunstan, D-U-N-S-T-A-N, Teo, T-E-O. Just find out what you can about him online. You won't find out about all that he has, but you'll find out that he is very connected in economic circles around the world at every level. Pretty much everybody in Asia knows him as a hero. And gamers, by the way, do. In his young life, he was an expert gamer on life online. And he had amazing success in that part of his life. What else in the world is happening right now? You remember those those brothers, those two brothers that were front and center back in the Jesse Smollett debacle in 2019, that hoax? Those two brothers, supposedly, they uh, they grabbed Jesse Smollett on a Chicago street in the middle of the night, forced him to pay them a bunch of money. They beat him up and all that kind of stuff. It was a hoax. The two brothers who were paid by Smollett to orchestrate that fake hate crime, they were wearing MAGA hats and they were supposedly Trump supporters and they went after Smollett because he was a black gay actor. Well, these two brothers came out and they said that they were paid by Jesse Smollett. It was a trial. Jesse lost. Some of that stuff is still uh, pending, but these two guys, they came out yesterday. Abimola and Ola Benjo, nicknamed Bola and Ola, they apologized for their role in this hoax back gosh, five years ago, four four years ago, they said that they agreed to Smollett's terms because they wanted to use his connections as a prominent actor to help them in their own acting careers, which they didn't have one. I just first want to apologize to everybody in the audience, the country, and anyone who might have been affected by this directly. When we were asked to partake in it, we really didn't foresee the ramifications of what something like this could do to the country. They explained last night on Hannity. We allowed our ambition to clothe, to cloak and cloud our judgment. Smollett, he's black and he's gay. He purportedly attempted to vilify Trump supporters as racist and homophobic. He originally suggested white attackers shouted racial slurs at him and yelled, this is MAGA country, as they beat him and wrapped a rope around his neck. The brother's attorney, Gloria Rodriguez, said when she heard about the incident, her instinct was that they were both innocent. My immediate thought wasn't, oh my God, this is a national spotlight case. My thought was, oh my God, I've got two innocent guys here that are being accused of doing this horrific hate crime. 
My natural instinct was to first, unlike a lot of other journalists who were out there reporting this, my instinct was to first get a handle on the facts. And that same night that I met them, I went by myself, had to cancel my plans with my wife and said, I've got to go down to the scene of the crime. I looked around and I just remember thinking, it's dark, it's late out there, nobody's out here. It's super safe. It's This is ridiculous that this would happen. The two brothers maintained everything they did that night was at the request of Smollett. So in one special, you may have seen it, Jussie Smollett, Anatomy of a Hoax, the brothers take viewers through the streets of Chicago and to that very site of the fake crime scene. They said Smollett told them to attack him in the streets at 2 o'clock in the morning. They explained how they faked calling him out, chasing him down, hitting and tackling him, even adding in a noogie so as to give him a scar, to give him a mark, to make it look real, like he really got his butt beat. Jesse was found guilty of five of the six charges against him of disorderly conduct following a nearly two-week trial back in 2021. He got sentenced. That doesn't happen much nowadays, especially in big cities. He got 150 days in jail, 30 months of probation, but he was released from jail six days into his Senate pending an appeal, and I don't think that's been resolved yet. Donald Trump. You know, if Donald Trump is successful in only one thing in his life, in his political career, he's he's got a lot of other successes in his wake business-wise, but if he doesn't get anything else accomplished in his political world, he's done a great job of opening the eyes of Americans and people from every other country to the fact that the United States greatness, it never came from great presidents or great leaders in Congress, but it came from the people of the nation who sign in to what their leaders are promising to do and not to do and holding those leaders accountable. You know what Trump says now? The U.S. is the greatest threat to Western civilization. He said in a video yesterday that Russia wasn't the biggest threat to the United States, but rather some of our own citizens He argued, and I'm going to quote him, it's probably more than anything else ourselves and some of the horrible USA hating people. In an American first screed, Trump spoke of taking on globalists, dismantling state defense and intelligence agencies, and even rethinking NATO. He said that Russia is not the biggest threat, but the greatest threat to Western civilization today is not Russia. It's probably more than anything else ourselves and some of the horrible U.S.-hating people that represent us. He's running again for president. He laid out in November a a three-and-a-half-minute video that he believed the Russia-Ukraine conflict needed to be ended immediately in order to stop World War III. And as I was just giving you that story, a bulletin popped up online, International Criminal Court has issued an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin. Just came out. International Criminal Court issues an arrest warrant for 
Vlad Putin. I don't know what kind of substance there is there. I don't know. Back to Trump. He didn't talk about what peace would look like, though he pushed that the entire globalist neocon establishment needed to be dismantled. The State Department, defense bureaucracy, and intelligence services need to be cleared out, and NATO's role needs to be re-explored. These globalists want to squander all of America's strength, all of our blood and treasure, chasing monsters and phantom overseas while keeping us distracted from the, the havoc they're creating here at home, he said. These forces are doing more damage to America than our Russia and China could have even dreamed of. Trump had a laundry list of domestic ills that he viewed as more pervasive than any foreign policy was. It's the abolition of international borders. It's the failure to police our own cities. It's the destruction of the rule of law from inside. It's the collapsing of the nuclear family and fertility rates like nobody can believe is happening. It's the Marxist who would have us become a godless nation, worshiping at the altar of race and gender and environment. And it's the globalist class that has made us totally dependent on China and other foreign countries that basically hate us. His foreign policy diatribe comes as his chief rival seems to be Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who hasn't yet announced a 2024 run formally. He took heat from the establishment of the Republican Party for calling the Russia-Ukraine war a mere territorial dispute, arguing that supporting the Ukrainians was not in the vital interest of the U.S. Now that's DeSantis's declaration about the war in Ukraine. Think about it. The number one, number two people running for the Republican nomination in 2024, both look at Ukraine basically the same, as many of us do. If we wanted to help Ukraine, if it was really that big a deal, we would have as a nation put every resource into Ukraine that was necessary to win this thing a year ago. And we didn't do it. Why didn't we do it? Why didn't we take care of winning the war in Afghanistan? We were there for more than a decade. Billions, hundreds of billions of taxpayer dollars went there and men and women in military lost their lives. No explanation for why, just that we were over there because we needed to be over there. Nikki Haley, former ambassador, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, she's announced she's going to run. The Russian government is a powerful dictatorship that makes no secret of its hatred of America, she said. This is Nikki Haley speaking. Unlike other anti-American regimes, Russia's attempting to brutally expand by force into a neighboring pro-American country. It's also regularly threatening other American allies. America's far better off with Ukrainian victory than a Russian victory. Okay, Haley, Nikki, would you see to it that we went in with all necessary force the first 30 days you were president and won the thing? Would you do that? Nobody asked that question. The definition of insanity has always been, still is today, 
doing things the exact same way over a period of time but expecting different results. That never happens. It never will happen. And if you keep on beating that drum and that's your answer to all these things, it'll never get fixed. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Welcome back to the King Value Radio Network. I'm your host, Sandy. And I'm your other host, Carl. Sandy, we are getting loads of calls today about the fresh new $1 Double Crispy Cheesy Burger. Well, hello. With two flame-broiled patties, crispy onions, and cheesy sauce for only a buck, that's no surprise. Jim from Tucson, you're on the air. Yeah, hi, guys. I just want to say I took your advice, went to Burger King, I got a new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger for a buck. I couldn't be happier. Oh, congratulations. Say, Jim, what was your favorite part of the delicious new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger, the Flame Fresh Taste? Well, I'll tell you, it had two big flame-broiled patties, plus it had crispy onions and cheesy sauce, too. It was really delicious. Oh, don't forget the price, Jim. Oh, yeah, and it only costs a dollar. It's probably the best purchase I ever made. Probably, Jim. Okay, definitely. Yeah, yeah there, it is. Yeah. there it is. Get the new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger with double the Flame Fresh Taste. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. This, this next story, to me, it just epitomizes exactly the craziness, the ineptitude, if ineptitude is a real word, of those in leadership in the United States. Department of Justice Office of Inspector General has contradicted House Democrats claim about whistleblower and former FBI special agent Steve Friend, a group representing Friend announced in a press release last night. House Judiciary Democrats released a 316-page report early this month that challenges the credibility of whistleblowers who now, on this regard, have sat for transcribed interviews with the House Judiciary Committee alleging, among other things, that both the DOJ Inspector General and the Office of Special Counsel rejected Friend's whistleblower claim. Well, in a March 13th letter to Empower Oversight, a nonprofit that helped whistleblowers document and report corruption, DOJ Assistant Inspector General Sean O'Neill corrected the record, assuring the group that Friend's claims remain under assessment. So why did the Democrats do this, that 316-page report? They're trying to win the conversation with the American people about this by employing their leftist media darlings to put misinformation out there. Hmm. 
part of this investigation is part of it into the alleged political bias in the FBI and DOJ. This House Judiciary Committee, headed by Ohio Republican Jim Jordan, first released a report summary summarizing all allegations made by whistleblowers in November. Friend, this alleged whistleblower complaint that the FBI is violating due process by not giving established case management rules a chance for January 6th investigations and is using forceful arrest tactics like SWAT teams, even for cooperative January 6th case subjects, which we know absolutely positively has been happening. We've had people on this show that offered up evidence that proved it happened to them. After reporting, this is friend again, his concerns to FBI supervisors, he allegedly had his security clearance suspended and was placed on unpaid suspension. Oh, you can't mess around with Big Brother. As we can fade to your office in early February, we're interested in interviewing Mr. Friend about his allegations that remain under assessment by our office, O'Neill wrote. We will follow up with you shortly to schedule an interview. Friend claimed the FBI departed from its internal operations manual as it managed hundreds of cases of those January 6 Capitol attackers. This is what the Democrats say. Friend brought this claim to the Justice Department Inspector General and the Office of Special Counsel and both rejected the claim. Not so. Not so. Our understanding has been and remains to be that it is your office's intent to interview Friend in order to get a more complete understanding of his allegations and fully assess both his underlying disclosures as well as his retaliation claims. However, last week, Democrats on the U.S. House Committee on the Judiciary provided a staff report to the New York Times, and of course the Times ran with it, that contained selectively edited partial transcript excerpts of French of Friends' testimony along with various interview exhibits and numerous mischaracterizations written by Democrat staffers, including claims including claims about meaning of the December 2nd, 2022 form letter from your office and the current status of Friends' case there. In other words, it's ongoing. They're still looking into it. Democrats said, oh, they're not going to look into it anymore because there's no there there. Absolutely lies. But remember this. The New York Times reported that this committee, the Democrat committee, had debunked Friend's um, information that he had, and so they just dropped it. It's a shame that so many media organizations ran with the partisan talking points that were too good to check, misled so many of their readers, But this letter confirms what we told anyone who bothered to ask from the beginning. Friend made legally protected disclosures as a whistleblower, and the inspector general will be interviewing him about each of them. Now, the final results results aren't in, but I'm not talking to you about the final results. I'm talking about what the Democrats are trying to do, run full circle around the fact or even what could be the fact that friends' allegations as a whistleblower actually are true. 
Democrat New York Representative Gerald Nadler, a.k.a. the Penguin, and Democrat Virgin Islands Dells, uh, Stacy Plaskett, Democrat Virgin Islands, I guess delegate, Stacy Plaskett did not immediately respond to a question about why the Democrat staff report claimed the DOJ rejected Friends' claims. No, they don't want to. They don't need to. They got their substance, if you want to call it substance. How? The New York Times printed it. That makes it okay. Everybody that reads the New York Times and believes in what the New York Times prints, they're going to believe it anyway. What else is still going on? It has been such a busy, busy day. What are you doing this weekend? Where are you going to go? Who are you going to be with? Have you thought about it? You going out of town? I got to be honest with you. I can't wait to get back home. I love coming to Fort Worth. I love Fort Worth. It's a great city. In fact, you know, we always refer to it not as Dallas or not as Fort Worth. We we talk about it as Dallas-Fort Worth. And yeah, it's two monster cities, and you really can't tell when one stops and the other one starts. The suburbs with t- between are just filled up just like the cities are. But it's in the South. And there, there are a lot of people out there that want to just point fingers at, here we are in the South, and that means this, or that means that. Uh, you know, that's just not right. You need to be honest, and before you put a label on anybody or any place or anything, find out for yourself what the veracity of what you're saying really is. That's easy to do, folks. Just do a little looking into it. It doesn't take a lot of research. On that note, Fort Worth, Texas is the laid-back version of Dallas, which is just 40 miles away right down I-20, going right through the heart of the suburbs. They're both really, really good cities, really good cities, and there's lots to offer there. And by the way, if you do any flying in the South, pretty much you're going to go through Dallas-Fort Worth anyway, which is the airport here. It's not in Fort Worth. It's not in Dallas. You're going to go through DFW, which is the signature for Dallas-Fort Worth. Spend a few days. Spend a few days. Before we go, you need to know this. As Joe Biden weighs whether to sign a law passed unanimously by Congress, what's that law say? I can't believe both houses of Congress are going to sign off on anything, but they did. It's to declassify U.S. intelligence about the origins of the COVID-19 virus. New evidence has shown up that the State Department and the National Institutes of Health routed at least $1.7 million in tax dollars to a yada, 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 Wuhan Virology Laboratory, despite evidence it was tied to the Chinese government, possibly the communist nation's bioweapons program. That's according to government documents reviewed. Earlier this week, the U.S. first declared in a 2005 State Department document that Communist China maintained an offensive biological weapons program, which was in violation of its treaty commitments. 
and that it was run in part by an arm of the People's Liberation Army, PLA, Academy of Military Medical Sciences, AMMS. That report specifically cited that the AMMS's 5th Institute as the epicenter of the country's bioweapons program. A decade later, multiple medical publications emerged from China that linked the AMMS to research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the very lab that our FBI and our Energy Department and other U.S. intelligence agencies all believe was the source of a leak that started the COVID-19 pandemic in late 2019. We're just beating that same dead horse over and over and over again, expecting it to get up and it's going to start winning, right? It's also the same lab that received grants from a contractor working for Anthony Fauci's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID, and the U.S. Agency for International Development, the foreign and aid arm of the Strapis Date Department. The ties between AMMS and the Wuhan lab sat in plain view for years before the pandemic even started, federal documents show. Now, if you weren't at the end of yesterday's show, you missed a really good conversation about the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Was it complicit in getting this virus across the globe? Was it involved at all? Here's the question that has been asked again and again, but nobody covers the answer. We've been told from the very beginning this COVID-19 came from bats. Bats carried this COVID-19, well, SARS-CoV-2 virus, and that somehow it jumped to humans, and that's how it happened. That's what we told you, the experts say, and you don't have a right to question us because we're the experts. So just sit down, shut up, and listen. That's where it came from. Well, we know where every virus on the planet in our history, every one of them, has come from. How do we find out? Well, they came and went through lab uh, animals. So what do we do? We go find the animal that gave us that horrible vaccine, and then we find ways to stop it from happening, making sure that those animals don't come in the proximity of humans anymore. So you would think these same brilliant scientists that know way more than you or I Oh, they just go find that animal, find those bats that they claim are the the evil givers of COVID-19 to the world, right? (laughs) Well, they went out looking for the animal and couldn't find it. No, it's worse than that. They didn't even bother to go look for the animal. Why? There isn't one. It didn't come from animals. It didn't come from a bat that's somewhere in the vicinity of Wuhan, China. And there are a lot of bats, underground bats. It didn't come from there. Where did it come from? You tell me. Thank you for being part of today's show, broadcasting live from Fort Worth, Texas. Our studios there will be back in the saddle in good old Northwest Louisiana on Monday morning. But between now and then, you guys have a great weekend. And make sure you go to truthnewsnet.org. Get that show, yesterday's show, TNN Live. You just click on it up there in the title, scroll down to the bottom, 
And there's a link there. You can get the conversation with Dunstan Teo. You need to learn what's coming down the pike on all things that will impact you, probably impacting all of us already. Ah, let's relax a little bit. Let's head to the weekend that you're going to enjoy listening to a little soft sound. David Pack, remember the name? Probably don't. Formerly sang for a while with Chicago, but here he is with Ambrosia, their biggest hit ever. <laughs> 